Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Thank you. Welcome to the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast hosted by me, Dr. Mark Halstead. I cover current hot topics and recent research in the world of the young athlete relevant to healthcare professionals. This is the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast. The sixth concussion and sports group meeting was last year around this time in Amsterdam, and earlier this year in June, the updated guidance from this group was published. A subtle but important change was made to the return to play progression. I've actually had several people reach out to me for clarification as to how we should be approaching this. We've actually also set out to tackle this for our Missouri high school athletes as to what revisions we need to make to our protocols. But how have we made this process easier? Or is it just now too confusing for those who aren't in the sports medicine and sports concussion world? Today, we're going to do a quick take on the concussion return to play process. I'm Dr. Mark Halstead, your host, and this is the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast. Fall sports are in full force, and if your fall's been anything close to mine, you know it's been busy, and unfortunately, recording new episodes have been put on the back burner for me, but I'm back and having some opportunities to record some new episodes for you, so I'm excited about that. With football, soccer, and cheerleading all going on at the same time, we know that concussions are flooding back into our office after the typical, but a still yet to be explained, summer lull. I don't know about you guys, but we always seem to have a lull in our office for concussion visits. But as I've been getting more of these patients, I've been thinking more and more about this return to play progression. And if we are making this more complicated than it needs to be for those who aren't concussion specialists. So I thought I'd give a little background in this quick take. First of all, just if you don't know or aren't aware about how the origins of the concussion return to play progression started. So as far as I can recall, and I have not found anything else to conflict this, but I believe the first publication of a return to sports progression actually came from our Canadian colleagues in 2000, and they published a statement about concussions, and they actually put the five-step return to play progression into an actual publication. And honestly, that's the origin of it. As far as I know, I don't have any other things that show that there's actually this return to play progression published prior to that. And it's honestly become gospel in the world of sports medicine is that this is the way it needs to be done. But interestingly, if you look back at it and you actually look at research, we really have not done any significant research on the actual return to play progression as to whether or not this is actually the right way that we need to approach this, or is this the best way? Do we need to be having a longer approach? Can we make it shorter? Do we really need to have all the components that we have in it? Are those the ideal things? I had a little bit of this questioning too when when COVID was around and we came up with the seven-day return to activity progression after clearing symptoms of COVID because, again, it became this kind of just, it almost seemed like we were just copying the return to play progression from concussions and then translating into this post-COVID world without any really true good guidance. It was just some expert opinion on that. And it really seems like that's kind of what we've continued with the return to play progression. Now, there are a couple little kinks in here that we've tried to make it a little bit more evidence-based, and that's based on a lot of the work for the sub-symptom threshold training and how that is actually beneficial for recovery. So that's been suggested, you know, we can move some of these steps up, and it hasn't really been published before this particular statement from last June as to whether or not we can actually consider that part of the return to play progression. But now that's actually considered part of it, where we're doing the sub-symptom exercise, and that's considered part of the steps. So I think, you know, again, we we have to thank John Letty for a lot of that work that he's done in his group and then others who have replicated that work that really shows that light physical exertion is actually beneficial to recovery. And we really don't need to take this approach of complete physical rest until we're symptom free. 
but I wanted to kind of break down the return to sport progression and just go through the six steps that are published out there in the current consensus statement and just kind of, I'll give my takes on them. And then I'll also just kind of put out there, Hey, are we really doing this the right way? And yeah, it's great for those of us that are in the concussion world, but is this really something that is really translating well to those that aren't in the concussion world on a consistent basis, digging into the research regularly and doing research like those of us that are in this world every single day? So if we look at step one, the strategy there for exercise is still symptom-limited activity, and it's felt that this could be started within the first 24 hours after the patient has had their concussion. And it's really the activity is daily activities that do not exacerbate symptoms. And they put the example of walking here with the goal being a gradual reintroduction of work or school, which I'm not exactly sure as far as why that's the specific goal for just daily activities that don't exacerbate symptoms. I mean, yes, we do want to get them back to work and school, but I think it's just physically getting them moving. So they're not sitting around like a slug. We're not doing the cocoon approach where we're putting them in a dark room and telling them not to come out until they're they're symptom free as we had some approaches that were done back a couple decades ago. So then now this is where the, the little trick comes in here. So step two now is aerobic exercise, but we have a 2A and a 2B. Now, I, I could not find anything in the concussion and sport group documentation as to why they split up things into a 2A and 2B. And also no clarification is can both of those steps be done on the same day because they talk about 24 hours for each. And if it's not, and it should be a 2A for 24 hours and then a 2B for 24 hours. Well, now we actually have increased our return to play progression by one day, which again, I'm totally fine with. I have no qualms with that whatsoever, but I think we need to put that out there and just say, hey, these are actually now new individual steps and consider that because otherwise it gets really confusing. And what it's put on there is the 2A is light activity that says up to approximately 55% of someone's maximum heart rate. And then they can do 2B level activity, which is moderate physical activity, again, up to approximately now a 70% maximum heart rate. And the examples for activity here are things that I usually will talk to my patients about in the office, like a stationary bike, walking at a slow to a medium pace. I'll usually tell them to do a brisk walk or a slow jog. They actually include in here light resistance training that doesn't result in more than mild or brief exacerbations of concussion symptoms. And actually, interestingly, I don't know of any research out there as to this date that actually shows whether there's benefit or not with doing resistance training. We've looked at the cardio activity, but please reach out to me actually if there is some published data out there because I, I, I haven't seen it yet. And the goal here, again, is to increase the heart rate, which is, is an appropriate goal at this stage is getting our heart rate up. But again, I, I I'm I'm confused about this 2A and 2B, and I think that's where a lot of people are confused on this as well, as one of the two parts that confuses people with this new return to play sports strategy that's been put out here. And then step three, we move up to individual sports-specific exercises. And they put a note in here, if the sports-specific training involves any risk of inadvertent head impacts, medical clearance should occur prior to participating in step three. So I guess this is like, I'm going to be out at football practice doing some drills, perhaps, I don't know, or just some sport specific training. That, that part's not exactly clear, but but the activity here, again, it's talked about sport specific training away from the team environment. So again, we're looking at individual work, basically. So it's looking at running, change of directions, and or individual training drills away from the team environment, but no activities at risk of head impact. And now our goal here is, again, adding movement and adding change of direction. So now we're adding more of a cognitive load as well to the physical exercise. So that's steps one through three. Now, this is, again, this is where this becomes more of, and I think we've made it more confusing now, because those are all things that we can do prior to someone being fully cleared of their symptoms and be going further on on the return to play progression. Again, each of those steps is meant to be at least a minimum of 24 hours. 
So we don't move up to the next step until we've successfully completed that. But once we get to step three, if we're still not completely back to our normal selves and feeling back to how we were before the concussion, we don't move on to step four. So we we can park at step three and leave it at that is basically the guidance here. But I think this is going to be... I think it's going to be hard to translate this to our primary care colleagues who are not doing the concussion work like we are. And this is the hard part that we're dealing with in our state right now is how do we revise our return to play progression away from what was the standard steps before that were just basically go up the steps here and the stages here to now this new kind of graded return to play progression. That's that's a two part, so to speak. It's the the pre-clearance and then there's the clearance return to play is the way I'm kind of thinking about it now as far as how we do it. So again, I I think this has made it a little bit more confusing. I think it's going to be a little bit of a challenge translating this. And I think when we really make some of these guidance and we put these guidelines out there, we really have to be thinking, how does this translate to everybody that's in the healthcare field, not just those of us that are athletic trainers or sports medicine physicians or physical therapists or other people working in the concussion world that are doing these things every single day. They're keeping up on the literature because I I certainly see in my office lots of kids who are being told that they can start the activity earlier, but not really giving any guidance. And again, we want them to be starting physical activity. I still see way too many kids that are being told to just sit on their butt and not do anything at all when they come into our office. So I do think there's, there's benefit to getting the activity, but there's not really like clear guidance. It's given the pediatricians or family practitioners are giving out a handout and here's your return to play progression, but they're not talking about it at all. And and, and probably it's part of it. They don't really understand it all. It's just here. It's written out, figure this out on your own. We kind of make it a little bit more detailed in our office with our patients. But I, I think again, it, in the big picture of things, we, we really need to be thinking about these things of how do we translate what we're putting out as recommendations to not just sports medicine clinicians. We need to be applying this, especially since the vast majority of patients that get concussions from sports are going to be those 18 and under. We really need to make sure that we're able to translate this into something that a pediatrician can use, a nurse practitioner can use who may be seeing someone, someone who's out in a rural community who isn't going to conferences on a regular basis and getting the latest and greatest concussion guidance. How how do we make this simple and approachable and also translatable to our patients so they can understand what each of these steps mean? But going on to the next part of this, the clearance part. So once you're cleared, once you're had symptoms resolved, you don't have any more abnormalities in cognitive function, any clinical findings related to the current concussion, including with or after physical exertion. Now you're allowed to, with physician or healthcare professional clearance, you can actually move on to steps four through six. And so this is our our standard rest of it. So the step four is non-contact training drills. And again, the activity is considered their exercise to high intensity, including more challenging training drills. That would be passing drills, multiplayer training, and then integrating back into the team environment. And again, the goal here is listed as resuming usual intensity of exercise, coordination, and increased thinking. And then step five is a full contact practice. Now, again, does step five get eliminated if it's not a contact sport? Uh, I theoretically think yes. If you've done a full non-contact training practice, you know, say you're a cross-country runner who had a concussion from something else. We're not obviously doing a contact practice. Do they have to do one additional practice? I I don't think so. But if there is a contact sport, we're getting back to a full contact practice is step five. And again, that's participation in full normal training activities. And the goal here, again, is restore confidence and assess their functional skills by the coaching staff. And then step six is return to sports. And that's the goal activity. There is normal gameplay, which we all are familiar with that. That really hasn't changed at all in that part outside of, again, that this is considered now the the post-clearance return to play, whereas the other first three steps are 
considered while you're still symptomatic, you can be progressing up those particular stages as long as, again, those aren't flaring up your symptoms. And, and again, what we're talking about here, and the caveat here is, is mild or brief exacerbation of symptoms with that step one through three. And it's considered that you aren't increasing symptoms more than two points on a zero to 10 point scale. And those symptoms don't flare up for more than an hour compared to their baseline value prior to their physical activity. So that's that's really what we're looking at there. But if during steps one through three, the athlete has symptoms, they stop and then they can return to that activity at that same level the next day. They don't move up to the next level if there is a next level, if they haven't reached step three yet. If they're on steps four through six and they have a return of symptoms, then they back down to step three. They don't go all the way down to one. They just back down to step three until their symptoms have resolved again. And then again, once they get clearance to move forward again, then they can go up to steps four through six. So again, that, that's the return to play progression in a nutshell. But again, I just, I look at this in the terms of just giving lots of lectures on concussions to primary care physicians is how do we make what we know as concussion specialists into something that's translatable, that's easy to understand, that's easy to apply, that our patients will understand, and those that are not healthcare professionals also can get. And I think we're, we're missing the boat a little bit here. And, and again, I, I still am trying to wrap my head around this 2A, 2B thing. I'm not like, like perseverating around it. It's just, it's all right. Is it again, is it truly two more steps? Is it truly two different steps? Or is that something that again, you can complete in, in one day? And again, that wasn't clear. There wasn't any writing in the guidance as far as why it was decided to do a 2A and 2B, at least not to any good um, description that I could find in the guidelines. So again, if I'm missing something here, please reach out to me. I'd love to get more information. If you have tried to solve this puzzle of how to make this translatable and accessible to patients, please reach out to me as well. I'd love to talk to you as we're trying to work through this at the Missouri state level of how do we um, update our return to play guidance that matches this for our athletes in the high school level in the state of Missouri. I love your input because I, I dig that. And I, I do appreciate those that are out there that have actually created individual sport return to play progressions. I think that's great. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like I said, you know, we've kind of made this return to play progression gospel, but there's no reason why we can't make one that's hockey related that satisfies all these steps. So it actually is specific to a hockey player or we have a basketball athlete. We make it specific to a basketball player and actually make each of those steps and put some specific instructions in there as far as giving people guidance. Like, where do we go with this? Rather than just saying, hey, we've got individual sports specific exercise. What does that look like? What would be an appropriate thing to actually test the athlete out that we know are actually probably safe things rather than having our, our coaches who aren't medically trained try and figure that out? So I would encourage those out there, if you are having those things and you're creating these and you have them available and they're publicly available to people of sharing them, if you're willing to do so. And again, you can reach out to us. We can put those on our platform and I can certainly update people on uh, future podcast episodes of, of people that have reached out and, and have those things available for us. Anyway, I just love to thank you for listening to this quick take. And again, for all of our faithful listeners out there, I truly appreciate your support and encouragement to continue this effort. And again, I try not to have these little lulls here. This has just been a crazy September and October for me, just clinically, and then also just with a bunch of other stuff going on as I have my daughter finishing out her final cross-country season as our, our last kid at home and ending that sport and enjoying that ride, but also sad that that ride is coming to an end fairly soon. Please be sure to follow us on various social media platforms, including Facebook, X, or Twitter, as I will continue to call it. Instagram and threads to keep up with our latest episodes that get released or just follow or subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast streaming platform. That's a great way to get updates through your mobile devices. 
I'm Dr. Mark Halstead, your host, and this has been the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you will join us for future episodes. Find my entire library of episodes at pediatricsportsmedicinepodcast.com. I'm Dr. Mark Halstead, and this has been the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast.